Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Leader Dialogue, brought to you by the Malcolm Baldridge Foundation and our sponsor, About Healthcare. I'm Dr. Chuck Peck, and as always, uh, it's great to be here with some with some friends of mine. Uh, ben Sawyer's here with me today, um, and we'll be talking with a special guest, Dr. Apurv Gupta, who I'll be introducing in a second. Uh, ben, as you probably know, is uh, one of the executives at About Healthcare, and it's great to be here with everybody today. Uh, I'm particularly excited about today's guests because uh, Dr. Apurv Gupta is a colleague of mine at Guidehouse. We've worked together for a number of years, and he's here to, you know, continue to talk about some things that we've been talking about for the last several uh, podcasts or so. And and that topic is really around uh, achieving systemness. And today, what we're going to focus on is something that. It's a term that a perv has actually coined, uh, and, and the term is empathetic automation. Um, and I'm going to introduce a perv first, and then and then just uh, uh, give you a, sort of a sample of what this uh, this is going to be about today. So, Dr. Gupta completed his internal medicine training at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, and received uh, an MD and a Bachelor of Science from Brown University and an MPH from Harvard University. He leads care transformation at Guidehouse Consulting as an expert in driving transformational change, physician engagement, change management, and leadership development. Uh, He's led multiple projects uh, in clinical operating model design, uh, clinical variation, service line optimization, et cetera. So he has a wide experience as a clinician manager, executive educator, and a thought leader. He also uh, co-hosts his own podcast uh, called Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You. And I would encourage you to tune into that podcast. Uh, he's, he's got some great guests and talks about a variety of difficult issues that everybody's facing in healthcare today. So Aperv, it's great to have you here. Um, let me just let me just start with, uh, with a couple of comments. And uh, these comments really revolve around technology and particularly uh, the electronic medical record. It, you know, I think those of us who have both uh, been on, who have been on both sides of healthcare, uh, one side being actually the provider of it, literally in the trenches, uh, and the other side being uh, the administrator of it in in a variety of leadership roles. And I think we would all agree that. Um, the EMR is really sort of a good, bad, and ugly story. Uh, I think most clinicians would agree that it has had a tremendous benefit for patients in terms of quality, safety, and in some, some cases, producing efficiencies that just weren't there prior to its inception. On the other hand, it's also got its, its, its bad or ugly side for clinicians, meaning uh, that it's it's taken away the opportunity to have uh, of that face-to-face interaction that used to occur 
you know, I remember when I used to uh, take care of patients, it was all about me looking at the patient, the patient looking at me. I recently visited my PCP and it was all about me sitting on the exam table and him facing the computer uh, during the visit. Not to mention the additional burden of hours that it puts on nurses and physicians potentially at the end of the day uh, in terms of completing uh, a lot of their work that they, they didn't have time to do when they were entering it into the medical record. And so I think this, this idea that Dr. Gupta is going to speak about today, which is this notion of empathetic automation, in other words, how to actually make uh, automation work for clinical folks and to, to help with the, the, the syndrome that's occurred now in healthcare, which is really serious with uh, people leaving their jobs, burnout, uh, et cetera. I think this is a really, really timely topic. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quiet and uh, welcome a Perv. Perv, it's great to have you. Um, and just start with really a simple question. Could you just explain for the audience what you mean by empathetic automation and maybe give a couple of salient examples uh, of how you think empathetic automation can really help? Thank you. Thank you so much, Chuck. It's honestly such an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, and again, doubly sweet because you're my boss, you know, so it's been an amazing uh, opportunity for me to come here and have an opportunity to talk to you about this and, and, and to this amazing audience. Thanks to Ben for making this happen as well. Uh, I think I think you really captured it so well, Chuck. That uh, the, the, you know, when you're talking about systemness and what we're struggling with uh, in in the post pandemic era to try to figure out how to make our, our organizations work, uh, you know, you would think that electronic medical records would be uh, part of the solution, and 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 unfortunately, they're only been a, a, a small part of it. Uh, in that they've also created this distancing uh, between uh, clinicians uh, and between clinicians and administrators and, and also, you know, to the clinicians and the patients, as you were just describing when we go in uh, to see our, our uh, physicians, uh, unfortunately, we're often, you know, sitting with, the, with the, their back to us as they're entering in data. Uh, that's where the genesis of empathetic automation came from. It was the notion that, you know, this is an era uh, in 2022, we have uh, amazing technology at our disposal, uh, not only in healthcare, but throughout many different uh, industries. And, and some of our healthcare organizations are starting to leverage those technologies, uh, but they're doing so in, say, the back office uh, arenas like revenue cycle or supply chain. Uh, they have not yet really thought about how to bring those technologies to bear on the front end, uh, which is where, uh, as you were alluding to, our clinicians are really struggling. Uh, with the electronic medical record, even though it has brought some value in terms of improving communication and enhancing patient quality and safety, what it has created is a documentation burden. Uh, it has become really complicated for people to manage the electronic medical record. Unfortunately, they spend a lot of time hunting for information in the electronic medical record. You would think that information is digital. It should be easy to find, uh, but unfortunately it, it isn't. You have to go to multiple places to find the information. Uh, the clinicians are often still chasing after each other. Uh, the doctor asked, looking for the nurse to find out what happened with the patient. The nurse walking into the patient, the patient is saying, hey, nurse, what's going on with me? And the nurse has to say, I don't know. Did your doctor tell you what's going on with you? So that's just these are just some of the symptoms of a dysfunctional uh, system uh, that, that, is, that are largely engendered because our electronic medical record 
uh, which should be able to be a better hub of communication and information, is unfortunately not able to function that way. Um, so we came up with the idea of empathetic automation because we wanted to put the focus of healthcare executives on the frontline clinical activities that are going on to get them uh, out of uh, necessarily just looking at the back room and helping the, uh, them to think about, well, there are clinical workflows, uh, complex as they may be, that can also be automated. And if we do so, we can really help improve the lives of these clinicians who are just overwhelmed right now with the amount of paperwork and documentation and communication that they have to undertake. So, Aparv, how do you distinguish automation from, say, artificial intelligence? Because I think, again, there's this uh, sort of immediate kind of, uh, wait a minute, stop. We can't trust a computer to make decisions. And, and you know, a computer is not going to think better than a physician or a nurse. It's a, so how do you distinguish between those two? Yeah, I think that's, that's a really critical question, Chuck, for us to uh, address because, so many of our, our team members and so many of our health system executives are also grappling with that. Uh, the, the risk is that all of these wind up becoming buzzwords. Uh, they're, they're cool and fancy and gimmicky. Uh, and people throw these terms around uh, without necessarily a lot of uh, clarification. And so, you know, people may be tempted to think that automation is the same thing as uh, artificial intelligence or natural language processing or machine learning. Uh, and while all of these these uh, technologies are on somewhat of a continuum. The way we, we distinguish them is we're referring to automation as simply uh, automating the mundane, repetitive tasks that a clinician has to undertake. Uh, these don't really require clinical intelligence, which is why they're overwhelming the clinicians and uh, they're creating a sense of burnout because it's taking them away from what they really want to be doing, which is taking care of patients. That when we speak with clinicians, as you do and, and others on, our, on the podcast, I'm sure will surely recognize, they estimate that anywhere from 25% to 33% of their workday is spent on tasks that are really non-clinical value add. Uh, it's just, again, the same chasing after information, hunting for it in the, in the electronic medical record, uh, or waiting for information to flow through to them. So, so those tasks, when they can be automated, that's really more of what we call the dumb uh, uh, bot level of the, of the solution. Uh, whereas uh, on the artificial intelligence side, you're talking about uh, using the data that's coming in, analyzing the data, maybe using machine learning protocols, and then trying to predict what needs to happen. Uh, trying to emulate the mind of the clinician and trying to, to make some sense of the trends of the data. Uh, and, and so that's more on the intelligence side. Again, what we're trying to do is to simply say clinicians are really, really busy doing very repetitive, road, mundane tasks that they don't actually need to be doing. In fact, no one really needs to be doing. And so a software program that can be uh, you know, a, a program to, to carry out uh, the, the same algorithm and just do it minute after minute and keep repeating that algorithm without having to think. It's just an if-then statement of go get this data and then go plug in the data here, uh, make you know pull the data from multiple places and present it to the clinician in one view. Uh, go take the data and match it up to a particular uh, a, a table that tells us what to do and give us an answer. So it, these are some of the things that we can do on more on the so-called non-intelligent uh, side of the uh, the spectrum. Can you give a uh, an example, say of 
so I described my, my visit to my PCP uh, for the first time. And as you described, uh, he basically, and this is not his fault, um, the way the rooms were set up, which I'm sure they are in most places, his back was to me about 90% of the time. Um, he was asking me the typical sort of questions. I had filled out my forms in advance with my history and et cetera, et cetera. So could you just pick, say pick a diagnosis and maybe give a specific example so people really understand what you're talking about of how this might work? Yes, absolutely. Happy to. And, and hopefully that, that will make it very illustrative. Uh, so one of the examples that we've been speaking with our clients about recently is uh, congestive heart failure. Uh, this is a condition uh, where the heart is not pumping forward as effectively as it could be. And as a result, the fluid backs up into the lungs, maybe into the abdomen, as well as into the legs. It can cause difficulties with breathing and it can cause difficulties with, with swelling. And unfortunately, it's a chronic progressive illness that if it's not well taken care of, can lead to frequent hospitalizations, can lead to frequent emergency room visits, uh, multiple medications that then a patient needs to be on. And unfortunately, every medication has its complication. So this, this tends to be one of the more common clinical conditions that we see in outpatient settings and in the emergency room settings, as well as in hospital settings. And unfortunately, uh, uh, problematic for our patients because it can be very uh, progressive. Uh, so in this kind of a setting, you need a lot of coordination of care. And that's exactly what automation can be helpful with. Um, so you can imagine that a physician, your physician, the primary care physician sitting with you in the in the office, if you had uh, congestive heart failure, which, which we're just postulating here, obviously you don't, uh, would have to then go into the medical record. Why is he sitting with, the, with your, his back to you? Because he needs to pull out information from multiple different places uh, in order to understand what's going on. He needs to understand what medications you're on, when were you last in the hospital or in the emergency room, what were your recent labs? Uh, what was your weight? You know, we call it the dry weight, uh, uh, which is what you know what weight you're at when you're not fluid overloaded uh, compared to your current weight. So he can understand whether you're well managed, uh, and all of these elements actually reside in a different place in the electronic medical record. So that simple function of pulling all of these elements together into one view, we call it a clinical dashboard. This can happen in the outpatient setting while he's trying to help you understand whether you've been watching your weights and watching your diet and taking your fluid pills so you don't get into overload. And the same thing happens in the hospital setting on a, uh, when, when you have, unfortunately, an exacerbation of, uh, of congestive heart failure and you have difficulty breathing, you get admitted to the hospital. Now the clinicians have to manage the same uh, issues, but in a more acute way. Um, so that's the first use case. It's really compiling information from different parts in the medical record and making it more readily available to the doctor and to the nurse so that they don't have to go hunting for that information uh, and they don't have to make a decision based on incomplete information. Unfortunately, what winds up happening when doctors and nurses are busy is they will often uh, just spend so much time searching for what they need. And then give up the search at a certain point because for them it's a opportunity cost of having to move on and and, and take the next, next uh, task. So that's where we think automation can step in. Every time the the, uh, the doctor seeing someone with CHF, they would automatically get a compilation view of the congestive heart failure to begin with. Um, that bot can then also go and do a lookup, a simple lookup of a New York Heart Association classification for heart failure 
or American College of Cardiology classification and determine what is the patient's uh, classification, because then that determines what medications the patient could be on that maybe they're not on. Again, sometimes doctors don't have a time to even do that simple lookup to first to assess what classification is this patient, and then to think, well, based on this classification, is there a medication they should be on that I don't have them on? So again, another use case for a bot. They can go look up the, the, the classification table, figure out that this patient should be on a lipid-lowering agent, but they're not, go and look up the patient's medications, see if that medication is actually missing from the list, and then give a simple prompt back to the clinician, hey, Dr. Uh, Smith, uh, did you know that this patient is uh, uh, CHF class two and they may, may not be on a lipid lowering agent? Again, really no intelligence involved here. Fairly complex activity that we've just spelled out. First, compiling all of the necessary information and presenting it in one view, and then going and doing a lookup, comparing it to what the patient's already on, and then presenting it back to the doctor. Uh, they're not predicting anything. They're not uh, substituting the judgment of the clinician. All they're doing is simply making the task easier for the clinician in synthesizing the information so that the clinician can do what they need to do, which is make the clinical judgment of uh, whether the, that patient indeed should be on that right medication. Uh, so there's a lot more we can say about that, Chuck, because there's probably three or four additional aspects of that CHF use case. But let me pause here and and uh, check in with you and make sure this uh, this is answering the question you had in mind. No, that, that's great. Ben, I know you probably have a, a couple of questions, so please go I, ahead. I do, and thanks for that, Aper. That was really uh, insightful. Uh, for the listeners, what I'm wondering is if you could then explain how when there is this application of artificial intelligence to help support the, the provider and patient interface and what you just described, how does that then translate into the physician in Chuck's case facing him and actually having discourse instead of being locked to the screen where they're having to fill out fields? So that's one question. The second question um, is related to a interaction I had recently with a good friend of mine who is an internist nephrologist. He was down visiting for a few days and he's the chairman of the board of a, of a health system. And he said one of the challenges that he's seen with this as a provider is that the, um, the insight that used to happen in medical records, like with a consulting physician, just wasn't there because it's so rote. Everybody is filling in the same fields. And so even though there's a lot of information there, the pearls, the, you know, the insight that, that he's looking for sometimes is, is not there. And then I think the third question is, as it relates to next steps for patients, particularly in care transitions, if they're going from a physician's office to a acute care facility or into another level of care, how, how from a empathetic technology standpoint, can those logistical triggers essentially be best managed? So is that, is that too much stuff to address or do you have yeah. those three questions? Oh, well, no. Yeah, well, let's go at it one at a time. And if I forget something, then I'll ask you to maybe just remind me. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I think at least for the first two, I love the questions because at least for the first two, I think, unfortunately, it comes back to a function of time. So, uh, so, so how does this help impact the physician? Ultimately, they're, they're taking, let's say, a 12-hour workday. Uh, and unfortunately, they are that long, or 10, 10 to 12 hour workdays. And they're spending three to four of those hours with looking for information, 
uh, uh, chasing after the information, uh, trying to document the information, or waiting for information. Uh, and, and what do they need to do in order to do that? That means multiple times going into the chart, trying to figure out if something has resulted, uh, maybe having to call radiology mm -hmm. or the lab to say, hey, what's going on? Why is my test not back yet? I've got, especially in the inpatient setting, I've got a patient who I'm trying to discharge. Uh, where's my echocardiogram? Uh, you know, when is that going to be done? Why did my patient get bumped? All of this expediting is going on behind the scenes. And it's it's necessary work to some extent, but it's not real clinical work because you can imagine it's not intelligence function that's being uh, that's being invoked right. here. It's really it's really a, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, grunt work that's involved um, in just calling up people and following up with them and just making sure that something is getting done. Those are the things that we think we can be automating that will just help relieve the clinician, the physician, and the nurse from having to do a lot of that chasing themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we're not talking about panacea here, right? We know that we're never going to replace completely all of that, all of the follow-up that does need to be uh, undertaken will still be going on. But we're hoping that we can make a dent in it to the extent that if you can think of that congestive heart failure patient that I was using the example of, uh, and, and a particular doctor seeing a patient with congestive heart failure, maybe with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, another with diabetes, and then with stroke, a lot of very common chronic conditions. Um, half of my patient panel, it might be made up of patients like this. Now, if I can have uh, a bot helping me organize the materials, present them to me in, in succinct fashion, helping me do to some simple lookups, uh, helping to follow up maybe with radiology to say, you know, is the echo back yet? Or send me a ping when the echo is back so I know when to go back into the record to look for it. Uh, or better yet, just pull that report in over uh, uh, to my note so that I know that it's uh, what the documentation is and it's available for me to review. Now you can imagine that this is going to save five minutes per patient, maybe 10 minutes per patient. And as you add it up over the course of the day, we're hoping that this can actually save anywhere from an hour to two hours per clinician. Uh, and that's where how this stuff works. It's an individual bot may only be able to save you uh, seconds to minutes. But as those activities pile up, it can actually add up to a significant impact for a busy doctor and a busy nurse. And when you free them up, that's the real answer, I think, to the questions, Ben, that you were posing. Then that gives them more time to actually be patient-facing, literally and figuratively. That's what they want to be doing. They want to be interacting with patients. I mean, doctors and nurses, they, God bless them, uh, they just, they love patient care. That's what brought them into medicine and, and nursing. And unfortunately, we have made their lives so administratively burdensome that they're not able to spend enough time doing it. Um, so the secret for us with automation is, is really no secret. It's like, how do we buy back the time and have someone else, a dumb bot, you know, program, just actually doing that work and serving it back up to them so they can have maybe that extra five minutes per patient uh, to focus on, you know, on, on having a more uh, uh, meaningful encounter. So I hope hope that answers Ben at least one of your questions. Do you have another thought on that before? Yeah, we go on but to the before other we go to that second one, yeah, let's let's uh, hang on with the first one for just a minute. Is there is there a habit change that then needs to take place with providers? Because I I literally just had the same experience as Chuck when I had my physical with my primary care physician. 
it was like the exact description. So it, it feels like they've gotten used to it, right? You face the computer, you're filling in the fields where you're talking to someone. Your point is really well taken, Aperv, that if the time is given back, it gives them the opportunity to move away from the computer because the dumb bots in the background are actually compiling the information. And it should give them the opportunity then to have a much more interpersonal interaction with their patient. I guess the, the logical question for me is, uh, is that going to require a bit of a habit change given sort of the ingrained approach now that we see across care settings where they're so fixated on making sure they capture everything that they're, they're not really moving their eyes off the screen much to be able to interact with the patient. Yeah. Uh, another fantastic follow-up question. Thank you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm smiling, although our, our listeners can't see us, but, you know, it's, it's such a crux of the question because, uh, you know, uh, I, I have two answers to that. On the one hand, you know, we got ingrained in this in just about 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's really sad. It's really, really sad. I think it's just a sign of the times. It's what we've done to ourselves and what we've allowed the system to do to us because we thought we were fixing the system. Uh, it, it, you know, it's it just it's it's how we thought we needed to go, and as a result, we've created this very burden, uh, burdensome, cumbersome system that's now in uh, in between us and our patients. Uh, and you know, and Chuck elaborated on that really nicely in in the preamble. So I think that one one response to your question is that there will probably be some habit change, but we've done it to ourselves in a fairly short period of time. I'm hoping that that's something we can unlearn as well, just as easily, if when the systems evolve. But this is really where systems need to go over the next decade. Uh, so that's one one thought process. The other thought process is why I keep emphasizing the dumbness of the bot, mm -hmm. not to you know, not to antagonize the bots, you know, unless they turn on us. But uh, the, I, what I'm emphasizing there specifically is that we are trying to focus on, uh, uh, you know, automating those aspects of the workflow that should not require any major process change for the physicians. Because right. that's another reason why they've become overwhelmed is, okay, doc, we think we've got a better way for you to do something. Uh, instead of doing steps A, B, and C, you're now going to do steps one, two, and three. Uh, and this is going to be great. And you know it's going to save you so much time, but you're going to have to learn something completely new. So what we are trying to focus on and emphasize with automation is to take out work activities for them, which mm -hmm. then just, you know, they may not even realize it you know, five minutes at a time, two minutes at a time. Uh, we're hoping that this is invisible to the, to, to the physician and to the nurse. And it just feels like a, uh, just a bit of a lighter day to them. Uh, right. So it's not asking them to necessarily do something different. It's just um, helping them. Again, that's why empathy comes in. We as system leaders are being empathetic to their plight and just making their workday a little bit lighter, enough so for them to be able to then take a deeper breath, maybe grab lunch, uh, go for a walk and spend that extra few minutes with the patient, uh, hopefully in, in a way that they want to, rather than us thinking we're going to have to train them differently to do something differently. Yeah, that's a really thoughtful response. I really appreciate it, Perv. And, and for the listeners on the other two questions, I doubt we'll have the time to address those today. But one of them is, as time comes back to providers, perhaps they can then use that time in the interaction with each other as consulting physicians to really provide that keen insight that, that we may have missed. And then that last question, uh, which again is, is probably the topic of another uh, podcast, is 
the triggers for transitions of care and how those can be automated, right? So that that the physician or provider isn't having to do a lot of work to try to figure that out, but instead those logistical triggers are kind of handled in the background to support the provider and the patient or consumer to get to the next best level of care in a really efficient way for them. I, I really appreciate your response on that. I think that was super insightful. Yeah. So we only, I know we only have a, a minute or two left. So Perv, just really quickly, because um, I know people are thinking this in the audience. Um, I, I assume that you're also trying to develop an ROI because there's probably an ROI associated with this, this, this work. And then finally, I assume that because these bots are dumb and agnostic, these can be placed into any system that somebody might already have in place in terms of the electronic medical record. I, I, I know those are very basic questions, but I, I think they're, that's important for people yeah. to know very quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. And we talk about it as automation, but a lot of this actually has to happen within the electronic medical record. And actually some of the most advanced electronic medical records that we work with with our clients, Epic and Cerner, have a lot of capabilities to already do this sort of optimization or automation. So that's the place we always start is within the electronic medical record. How can we make that workflow just work more smoothly? Uh, so that's, that's one quick answer. And to your first point about return on investment, Hopefully our, our listeners will be convinced by the end of this that you know the return on investment is really significant when you think about uh, clinician uh, burnout, nursing burnout and overload. So it's really experience of care, reducing turnover, uh, better engaging the workforce because when the doctor and nurse is better engaged, then the, the patient will be better engaged and you'll have better outcomes. So this leads to better patient safety and quality uh, because you're not spending time chasing after information. The right information is coming to you. You can make decisions in a better informed way. So that's so those are all very valuable aspects. But then uh, we would be remiss if we didn't count that there's actual hard dollars attached here because when you save the physician's time and the nurse's time, you won't have, uh, you, they'll, they'll be able to uh, obviously uh, take a, you know, a deeper breath, but they may also be able to see more patients doing more of the things that they wanna be doing and there'll be less turnover. So those are the ways in which we're thinking about ROI. We don't wanna just be financially uh, uh, literate. Uh, we also wanna be sensitive to uh, the broader view of healthcare that we're trying to engender. Well, thank you, Aparv. This was a great conversation. Um, I, I think we're going to want to follow up at some point. And Ben, I don't know if you have any last words for folks in the audience before we sign off and uh, talk to them again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I would just thank again, Aparv, uh, to coming on. I think you provided some real insight and, and things that providers in particular can relate to, because I think your comment about in some ways we've done this to ourselves. And so there's this opportunity to figure out a path out now that we have a baseline of electronic medical records, how can we optimize that, right, for a better experience for all patients, consumers? I think that's a, a great way to end it and look at uh, sort of next step discussions that can start to tackle that even further. Great, everybody. Thanks so much for your time and uh, thanks to our audience. And uh, we'll see you next time.